The best key change in rock history. Power Bella Friday. And today, Michael Bolton, how can we be lovers if we can't be friends? Which I think is a fair question, isn't it? Going from friends to lovers is a very common theme in pop music. But this song portrays the opposite situation. The couple have a passion for each other, but they can't get along as friends. And he's saying, well, it seems it's easier for friends to become lovers than for lovers to become friends. Do you follow me? Yes, I follow you. I'm still trying to figure out how Michael Bolton plays the guitar that good. Well, it's not him. He's the singer. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, very big hit maker. Uh, And many, as an aside, might not know that Michael Bolton, uh, the hit maker who did that song, was very, very much into philanthropy. In fact, he set up the Michael Bolton Charity in 1993, which helps women in poverty. Uh, and and domestic violence and abuse and it's long running so good on him and uh, yeah love the Bolton and had the pleasure of uh, talking to him actually on RNZ Sunday for uh, quite a long time anyway um, my producer just uh, called me he said Wallace I can't believe the response we had about brains I, I wouldn't have believed it but we have a nation that grew up in brains it seems I recall Auckland Hospital serving brains when I was a student nurse. Not popular in the Neuro Ward, (laughs) (laughs) says Claire. Um, Another one, I was brought up in Blenheim on savoury brain fritters in the 70s. Ross and Gisborne says, hot tongue and cold shoulder. Love it. Uh, Another one here, brains are very yummy. You can crumb them, you can fry them. Brains and onions and white sauce, very nice. Uh, And Jeffrey in Wellington says, I was in hospital for years as a kid and I suffered brains regularly and I have never recovered. Thank you very much for uh, your wonderful response. In fact, we may have to return to brains uh, next week. There's been so much on this. But to this, with Boopsie Moran today, also Peter Dunn joining me on the panel. If you take a look back at 2023, the year seemed dominated by issues around water, whether it be the sewage flowing to Auckland Harbour, to the Queenstown boil water notices, and indeed Wellington with its water woes, possibly needing a $1 billion per year fix for the next 10 years. And then there were those robust debates around what was known as Three Waters Reform. Well, our next guest has an idea I thought worth highlighting. That is uh, Water NZ Chief Executive Gillian Blythe. Gillian, kia ora. Kia ora. Well, it's been quite a year around water issues. <laughs> it's fair to say, Gillian, whether it's the leaking pipes, floods, boil water notices. It, it, look, it certainly has. Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, every day I, um, you know, open the paper or look on a website, um, there's a lot happening in the water sector. You had an interesting idea I thought was actually worth raising, uh, and that was the idea, such as the issue, to have a minister for water. Tell us a bit more about that. And what, I mean, would that, for example, need to entail a ministry? No, I don't think we need to have a ministry, but I do think we need a minister of water that can sit at the cabinet table, so the inside cabinet, that will be able to ensure that the issues that are facing us, whether it is, as you've just said, you know, bull water noses in Queenstown, um, sinkholes in Auckland, leaks um, in, in Wellington, that they are being considered um, you know, appropriately around the table um, because we've got to find a way of unlocking investment of enabling us to have, you know, the scale 
um, you know, across the sector um, to to ensure that we can deliver on um, safe drinking water and and to improve our environmental performance across wastewater networks and systems and the stormwater. Yeah, because they go, the issues go from quite granular, don't they? Sort of real practical stuff in terms of the the health of our community water, right up to the political level of three waters. So are you saying that something someone like a minister for water would bring all those issues under an umbrella? Yes, absolutely. Mm. It, because if you think about it, we've got, at the moment, you've got Ministry for of Health that is having to think about things like, you know, fluoride. Um, it's thinking about, you know, they were, some of the local officers of health responded to the cryptosporidium outbreak in, in Queenstown. If you think about the Ministry um, for the Environment, you know, they think about um, the national environmental standards on sources of human drinking water. Um, MB right. is thinking about economic regulation, consumer t- protection. Tamata Arawai is being um, is, is the water services regulator. Um, so sort of thinking about quality of drinking water is Department of Internal Affairs. It's spread all over and bringing, having one person who is having all of those different pieces, you know, this is when we start having the water puns, flowing into <laughs> a point, you know, um, you know that, that, is, that is there and ensuring the fact that we are not forgetting it because, you know, water is essential to life. Um, and, you know, as we saw in the floods in Auckland or we saw in the floods following the Cyclone Gabriel, you know, it, if you don't have access to, to your, your drinking water or your wastewater, you've got fundamental problems. Well, it's really interesting because I feel like um, locally, um, Alex Bonham, one of our local board members, and Desley Simpson, our deputy, have been posting so much lately about the sinkhole, like every other day, all the deep infrastructure details. And this mm-hmm. morning, have do they think about oysters and mussels and their role in water? Um, and would that be environment or should that be the water person and how they clean, how see. they filter water? I think. Look, I think there's merit in the idea. Uh, I'm, I, I was just thinking as as um, as Gillian was speaking about. I was Minister of Internal Affairs at the time that the Havelock North situation arose a few years ago. And the first thing the first thing that struck me was exactly the point that she made: the different range of government agencies that had a finger in the pie, mm. oh. and there was there was no. Everyone had a particular perspective, but no one had an overall view. Mm. And I think that with water, as we've seen over the last few years, there is an emerging case to say we do need to have uh, one minister who's got the overview and who's got the power to tap into the various agencies who've got responsibility. At the moment, all they do is report to their own minister, whereas if you had an overarching minister who could say to Ministry for the Environment or to Internal Affairs or to local government or whoever it was, this is what we need, this is what our focus needs to be, I think I think there's merit in that idea. Well, that, uh, Gillian, is a very illustrative example, isn't it? Because I think that was 2016, Havelock North. Mm. Uh, so many hospitalised, people died. And from that uh, case, in fact, that's where we saw the seeds of three waters. So that's a very good example that Peter raises. And look, it absolutely is. And, and that's why we've got to... Um, not get too tied up in, in in some of the conversations that have been happening over the last year and actually go back to why are we having the conversation in the first place. Yeah. We want to make sure that when you turn the tap on in the morning, it's safe to drink, mm. you know, and that you're not worried, you know, or if you want to go and have a, if you want to swim in the local river or in a lake, that it's safe to do so. You're not worrying about what has been, um, you know, what, what uh, overflows have occurred. Do you know um, of other governments that do do this? So absolutely, um, 
the uh, we had a speaker at the Water New Zealand conference a couple of weeks ago from South Australia. Mm. They had a Minister of Water mm-hmm. um, because exactly that they 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 knew that they were going to they had the Millennium Drought in Australia yep. and they needed to think about this on a holistic basis. And we know that just because we had a lot of water in terms of the floods this year, we, you know, we know that as we as as we go through the next you know decades that we're going to see moments when we're short of water. So we need to be able to think about that. We need to be able to understand what's going to be the impact. You know, there will be toxic algae in some rivers because we will see, you know, that they, them, them heating up. And, and well, that there's on Barrier Island already. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So there is so many issues that we need to be able to think about. And it's so easy to not have that consistent overview, mm. you know, because... I'm thinking about it from an MB perspective or from a, an environment or from a health, and I'm not seeing that bigger picture. And that's the problem at the moment. Everyone looks out of their silo, mm. and, and our responses have been structurally driven. So we, get, we have a, a sort of a reorganisation around something like Three Waters, for instance, which actually misses the point because you still don't have that overview that, that brings the elements of uh, where's our water coming from, how safe is it, how do we reticulate it, what do we do if there's too much of it and it floods, all of those sorts of things that have been issues of, of late. And I, th- I think, you know, Gillian's got a, a very valid point about that integrated oversight mm-hmm. that means that um, everything can be given its, its, its due priority. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see where this goes. Who knows with the incoming administration? For now, uh, Water NZ Chief Executive Gillian Blythe Kyoto, thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, uh, Boopsy Moran and Peter Dunn with me and look, uh, oh, we'll have to return to this brains thing because uh, the <laughs> it's incredible the response you've had. Here's, here's just one more. I'm 65 years old. My mum gave me brains as a six-week-old baby as written in my Plunkett book. My mum always told me what a problem child I was with colic and cried constantly until six months. I wonder if brains were the reason. <laughs> we also grew up with sheep tongues and white sauce, which I willingly ate until my brother poked out a sheep tongue on top of his own and I've never <laughs> eaten them since. Thank you for taking us down memory lane uh, with your uh, brain food stories this afternoon. Uh, now to this, it kills 10,000 Kiwis every year. What is it? Heart disease. One in three of us will die from heart disease. That's not to mention ongoing disability from the likes of a stroke. A group of clinicians have made a call to action to address New Zealand's rates of heart disease and stroke in the New Zealand Medical Journal today, saying that progress, well, it's flatlining. With us is Heart Foundation Medical Director and Associate Professor Jerry Devlin, who was one of those clinicians. Uh, Jerry, kia ora. Nice to have you here. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you for inviting me. Well, first up, 10,000 New Zealanders a year. That is such a statistic and I can imagine many listening to this today will be really surprised by that, how big it is. Uh, it, it, it is, it is. I, I mean, we, we've seen um, since the Heart Foundation, you know, began back in 1968, we have seen a dramatic reduction in people dying from heart disease. But as you say, 10,000 10, people per annum will still die in our country of heart disease. So the job's still not done. We've still got lots of work to do. The other thing about this as well is that, um, you know, heart disease uh, falls disproportionately on our Maori and Pacific people in New Zealand. And that, that's not fair. We need to understand that and address that as well. 
Yes, I've been looking at the uh, the stats. Uh, there's a big equity issue around this. Before we get to our panel, can I ask this? Of those 10,000 Kiwi who die every year of heart disease, how many of those could have been avoidable? Well, if you look at, say, Māori and Pacific, there's at least 50%, if not more, uh, probably around uh, 30%, 40% in uh, um, Pākehā. But a number of the deaths are preventable. Um, we've all got to die of something, but that should be an old age. And if we live long enough, heart disease is one of the things that we you know, are more likely to die of. But premature deaths, I mean, they're avoidable. They're avoidable. And, you know, we've got to work hard to identify people at risk yeah, and manage a, those risk factors. I have a question about that, because how much of your work and data is being paired with other organizations as far as like transport as a preventative measure, maybe walking more often to and from work? Like, do you work closely with those organizations to create? No. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's a, it's a really, really good question. And uh, a really, you know, an important question. We, we, we don't work with organizations such as transport. But, you know, we all know the power of being more active. Mm-hmm. Um, any activity is better than no activity. More activity is better than a little activity. So I think, yeah, that's that, that, that the whole holistic approach to, to wellness instead of an illness model. And I think that's something that we've, you know, with the Heart Foundation and the Call to Action, we recognize that as one of the, the key areas that yeah, we've got. Yeah, because overseas, overseas, a lot of the Wellness Foundations partner with Heart Associations. So okay. it's yeah. definitely mm. done overseas. All right, Peter. Well, I, look, I, I'm a great supporter of the Heart Foundation's work, and I was very pleased to see this today for a perverse reason, because I think it's the wake-up call we need. Uh, Jerry made the point before that uh, over the last 50-odd years, the Heart Foundation's done a huge amount of very positive work, and we've seen the number of deaths die. And I think the problem is, and I'm interested in your comments on this, is that a lot of New Zealanders now think we've got on top of cardiovascular disease. You know, smoking rates have fallen, we're, our diets yeah. have improved, we know more about exercise. And so therefore yeah. we've we've done away with the, you know, not done away with, but we've, we've resolved the, the cardiovascular problem. And I think that this is a very timely reminder that actually there's still a lot of work to do and a lot of challenge ahead of us. Uh, what's your take on that, yeah. Jerry? Yeah, well, 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 exactly that, Peter. There's, there's a sense of been there, done that. Yeah. You know, you know, we can move on to the next problem, um, but we haven't. And, you know, what we're seeing now in, in our own country as well as in other countries around the world, the curve of heart-related heart, um, deaths is actually starting to come up again. And I think we're seeing new risk factors that we're, you know, that are emerging, such as inactivity, uh, type two diabetes. Mm. And we've got an epidemic of type two diabetes in our country. Ten thousand Kiwis a year dying of heart disease. Extraordinary. Can I just, as a personal, my this includes my family as well. You know, I mean, you might want to email yeah. me uh, how it affected you, but um, issues like stroke, heart disease. Dad, you know, died at uh, you know forty nine. It's just something, it's really quite something. I mean, he wasn't, he was just uh, ill with it. What, just finally, what does a call to action involve, Yuri? Um, well, so the call to action, the, the paper is informed by a white paper that we put together and published, the Heart Foundation put together and published pre election, which is made available to all the political parties. So the call to action now, we're asking for the incoming government to take this seriously and develop a heart health action plan that is going to prevent New Zealanders dying prematurely from heart disease and stroke and also enable New Zealanders to live well with heart disease in our community. 
because don't forget we have with our aging population and some of the successes that we've had with heart disease there are more people living with heart disease than ever before. Mm. So we've got to help enable them to live well in our communities and not in our hospitals. Very nice to have you here, Jerry, and let's hope the the, uh, the call to action gets a bit of traction uh, across the uh, new administration there. That is our Heart Foundation Medical Director and Associate Professor Jerry Devon. Gosh, that's quite a stat, isn't it? 10,000 Kiwis a year. And uh, particularly his point that up to half of those deaths are preventable. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, that's right. And not to mention mm. the ongoing uh, issues. I mean, living with stroke, for example. Mm. Uh, now, to this, and to actually tangentially related, isn't it? Because it's about, it's about getting moving. Uh, an ongoing Wellington project called Killaburnie Connections is striving to tighten community connectivity between Kilburnie, Rongatai and Lao Bay. And one interesting part of this we've been keeping an eye on is a new street layout that has been trialled in Lao Bay. So these changes have been made to the intersection of Freiburg Street, Far Street, to make it safer to cross. And you've got this new blue pedestrian area. It'll stay in place over summer while the council assesses if the changes made the street quieter and safer for residents. And with us is Motu Kairangi Eastern Ward Councillor Sarah Free. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Ah, pleasure. Welcome to you too. It's just an example, really. We've talked about the Wellington Woes, but here's an example of, as Boopsy would say, um, easier changes that can really impact a community. Explain a little bit about it. Well, we were consulting on a network of cycleways and walk and walking improvements in Kilburnie, and we came up with the idea of um, asking the community whether they'd like some low traffic neighbourhoods, which is where you try deliberately try to restrict the traffic, not completely eliminate it, but restrict the traffic in order to make the street calmer and safer and quieter for residents, and also um, a lot safer and more friendly for children, whether they're walking or playing um, in the street. And of the three streets we asked the community about, there was really only enthusiasm for one. And um, this project, Freiburg Street, is um, adjacent to Lyle Bay School. And it's a a neighbourhood with a lot of houses as well. And there's also a walkway which already connects Freiburg Street through to um, one of the other local streets, Palm Ave, I think it might be. And it just seemed like there was quite a big why as to why this might be a good idea and we had enough residents who thought it would work, and the school was um, supportive. So we decided to give it a go. Good on them, yeah. And uh, look, it's a nice, it's a nice positive story. This one, Boopsy. I know you're all over this because this is really what you do as an urban strategist. <laughs> but uh, who, who, do, Boopsy, who doesn't like kids getting out there helping with the street art, planting native plants and herbs in the new planter boxes in the pedestrian area what's not to like yeah and then now we've given an opportunity for these kids to have their memories that we grew up with because i feel like there's been a gap probably of 30 years almost of where kids could play in front of their house and not feel like and in lyle bay i live there um i love oh, this project i live that was my first suburb <laughs> well you know it and they're quite wide so there must have been a speed problem i bust everywhere so i never transported around that area in car or by foot but um what what is it really wide? I, I remember them being wide, so it would have been people would drive fast, right? Mm. This particular street isn't as wide as some, um, but all the streets are fairly wide by Wellington standards. And this street has been used in the past for a bit of a rat run. Um, mm. It's also got a little bit of a hill that you come up, and then it's a bit blind when you come down. Um, so cars, we have had some near misses, okay. um, and there are a lot of people who try to walk in this area because it's flat and everything's close. 
But you're right about the, the street art. Um, I went there today and I was able to see some of the creative um, stenciling that's been done on the mm. street, the bit where, which we're encouraging kids to walk safely is painted a lovely bright blue. And I saw a child of three just confidently come on uh, on a scooter. Uh, it was, she was with her mum and her older sister, but this little tot just confidently went onto the spit that we've now protected and crossed the road. And I could see how much she was just relishing having this extra space and this extra ability to move um, without threat. You're bringing a so. smile to people's faces <laughs> across the nation, Sarah. There you go, Peter. Uh, a, a, yeah, little, a little bit of good news to come out of it, your city. It, it is good news. I've, d- I've just got a question for Sarah because it seems to me one of the advantages or two of the advantages she's mentioned so far is that it's relatively flat and Lyle Bay and wide streets. I'm just mm-hmm. wondering how... How transportable the model is to the yeah. the hill mm-hmm. suburbs where the streets are more windy and True. narrow and the turns are tighter, or whether there's another approach that can be taken in those areas to achieve the same outcome? Look, um, I think we'll start with where it's easy and, and logical mm-hmm. to do it, and that's what we've done. We started where there was some support. Now, having said that, there's still a lot of things that we need to iron out as we go. So, um, you know, we, we, we'll get changing traffic patterns um, because we've, we've made the street less accessible to cars um, and we have to deal with the flow-on effects around that as we get to them. So we're making, trying to make safer pedestrian crossings in some of the neighbouring streets as well and doing traffic calming in some of the neighbouring streets so we don't just transport the problem elsewhere. But it does make sense to start where we can and actually there's a lot of places in Wellington where we do have a lot of flat land. So already a resident in Karori <laughs> has submitted to us that he's quite interested in this for his neighbourhood. He's just one person. But we've got Karori, we've got Miramar, we've got parts of Island Bay. Um, you know, there are, there are actually a lot of places that are flat. Yeah. I think we start where it's easy mm. and then have a go. try to yeah. transport it to the hilly bits. See, what, see, see, if, it, see if it works. Yeah. Hey, Sarah, nice to have you yeah, on. Okay. And uh, look, all the best for the trial there. Uh, Lyle Bay, people are texting in too. I've lived there. I love the new changes to uh, prioritise uh, pedestrians. Uh, well, finally on the panel, my wonderful producer, Sam, you know, he's, oh, you old fart, you playing Michael Bolton. Uh, you know, what about drum and bass? What about something like that I like as a young person? And he suggested... The story here, New York's Mayor Eric Adams has proclaimed that today will be known officially as Wu-Tang Day. Have a listen to the Wu-Tang Clan. Here we go. Yeah, 30 years on, uh, coinciding with the 30th anniversary of Wu-Tang Clan's pivotal debut album, Into the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. And the festivities, get this, will include the lighting of the Empire State Building in Wu-Tang Clan's iconic black and yellow colours. Whoop, whoop, what's up? That's awesome. <laughs> that's you, Bootsy. for life. That's all of that's that's you, isn't it? I'm not quite sure if it's Peter. Then I think you and me are more Michael Bolton, aren't we, Peter? I think so. Yes. I'm, I'm just wondering. I'm, I'm pleased it's the uh, Empire State Building and not Trump Tower. Very good. Hey, Peter Dunn, Bootsy Moran. Thank you very much for being with us. I am Wallace. I'm back Monday, 3:45. Let's take you out with a little bit of. Okay. So I got with a sick tight click and went all out.
Catching kings from four C's, rolling in MPVs every week. We made 40 G. Yo, brothers, respect mine. I ain't gonna take now.